Welcome to MonkCast, a podcast from the Benedictine monks of St. Benedict's Abbey in Atchison, Kansas. Today we are with Father Meinrad Miller, who just celebrated 25 years of priestly service. So, uh, Father Meinrad, why don't you, maybe if we can just journey all the way back to the beginning. What, at the very beginning, made you want to be a priest the first time you had the thought? Well, I think the first time I thought about this, I was uh, back in my hometown of Leota, Kansas, and I was... At that time, uh, I'd gone to a summer vacation Bible school a year or two earlier, and uh, for the first time, I really sensed that the Bible was real, that, that these stories were real, that this person, Jesus, was real. I mean, I, it's not that I didn't think that they were real before, but it was just that I really had this sense that this was a beautiful uh, journey and story, and so at that time, I began to think about the gift of priesthood. And so, as you're considering uh, that sort of lifestyle, what uh, made you think that the monastic life might be a possibility for you also? Well, in uh, when I was in fifth grade, my family had moved to Washington State, and we owned a donut shop in Shelton, Washington, and our parish was run by Benedictine monks from St. Martin's Abbey, and the pastor was Father Michael Feeney, who was a very gracious pastor, and he had been the prior of St. Martin's Abbey and the president of St. Martin's College. And uh, our family was very impressed with him, the way that he was a pastor, he was a good preacher, he was a man of God. And so later on when I uh, was thinking about the monastic life living back in Kansas, I actually flew up to Washington State after my sophomore year of high school and spent a year with the monks, or I spent a week with the monks at St. Martin's Abbey. And uh, av- during that week, I just fell in love with the psalms, with the prayer, with the rhythm of silence and community life, and also the possibility of pastoral work. And uh, later on, friends began to say, well, you know, there's a monastery in Atchison, Kansas. And so the next summer, after my junior year of high school, I came and spent a week here at St. Benedict's Abbey. I also looked at a number of other orders and the diocese. One thing that attracted me to Benedictine life was the combination of prayer and work, of prayer together with the community, of community life and fraternity, lived uh, like the early Acts of the Apostles who were filled with the Holy Spirit and united. And that just really appealed to me, but also the aspect of work, of going out and preaching the gospel was very appealing. So uh, at, after high school, did you immediately come to St. Benedict's? Yes. Well, I came after high school, I came to Benedictine College, and I lived on the south campus, uh, the old Mount St. Scholastica College campus. I was a music major for a couple of years, uh, studying voice and organ, and uh, I, I continued to grow my prayer life. I was still visiting other communities. I remember with a friend here in college going visiting the Redemptorist in Wisconsin, uh, talking to diocesan priests, talking to others, visiting Conception Abbey in Missouri. But um, I, I w- also had in the back of my mind uh, St. Benedict's Abbey all along. And so what was the maybe defining characteristic of this place that attracted you to it? Well, during my sophomore year, I remember uh, in January, we'd just come back and we were at Mass in the big chapel on the south campus, the beautiful St. Scholastica Chapel, and Father Dennis Mead was celebrant, and he gave a really good homily about vocations, and he was talking about monasteries, and uh, 
he he basically is a plea for uh, people to consider St. Benedict's Abbey. And uh, I don't know what it was about that homily, uh, but it was it came right at the right moment. So right after Mass, I went and talked to him. And uh, before I knew it, within a couple of months, I was a postulant here. So that was in January of 1985, and by March, I had entered the postulancy of the Abbey. So you're a very talented vocalist, right? And you said you're yes. studying music at the yes. college, and now you've become a postulant. But, you know, uh, how did that sort of musical gift, you know, lend itself as you were, uh, you know, entering the monastery? How was that useful? And how did, well, that, how did entering the monastery kind of transform your education? Yes. Well, I remember from the very beginning, Father Blaine was very encouraging of me. He had been the choir master for many years, and he was very encouraging of me to continue to study music and uh, the role that I could play in music here. And uh, and I think music has been so important for me just because of the way it uh, really enhances the liturgy and is integral really to the liturgy that we, we pray and, and work in. Uh, so music was always a part of that. Uh, after about a year of being in the, after my novitiate, I decided that to get a music degree and all of the philosophy and theology I needed for seminary would take like another year. And I was already on a six-year plan at that point. So talking to the superiors, I decided that I would receive a music minor and get the needed courses to go to seminary. So that is what I did. So I cut my music degree short, but I did get a, a minor in music and studying organ and voice, and that has come in very handy over the years. And so as you were going through this kind of faith journey, you talked about looking at lots of communities and stuff like that, and now you're you know anchored, obviously, in St. Benedict's Abbey as you make that transition. Was there any point that you sort of struggled or had any doubts or anything like that like that may have cropped themselves up? No serious doubts. You know, there's always times when you think, what is the, where can I, you know, best use my talents for the kingdom of God? But a lot of times, even if I had questions about that, you know, one of the uh, thoughts that the early monks talked about was asadia. And asadia is basically you, you think, uh, you begin to daydream about a perfect monastery or perfect community. And so that would come, that did come up, up upon me several times in 34 years of being here. But for the most part, you know, you look at, I think the whole of the the data, and I think if you if you add all the days together, I was I've been very happy here, and uh, so I, so while sometimes you know you, I would think to myself, oh, I wish I was at a community that chanted better or where the monks were all uh, perfect and holy, but then I began to realize, well, there's no place like that until heaven, <laughs> so I might as well just uh, be happy here. Very good. So after you come back from seminary and you're serving at the college, um, what would you say was your first great passion uh, as you came here? When I, I remember being ordained 25 years ago and really thinking that the Lord had something great in mind for Benedictine College, for the Abbey. At the, until that time, the Abbey had really not received the steady stream of vocations. And so one of my tasks was to be the vocations director and so I'm happy that a number of those early vocations are still here and still a part of the mission of the Abbey that I was able to uh, help recruit for the monastery. Also, uh, at the college, I think from the very beginning, I began to have uh, holy hour every week. I dusted off the monstrance 
and we'd have a holy hour once a week, and uh, and then that kept expanding, and I began to increase the number of times for confessions, bringing in great speakers. Uh, we brought in Father Benedict Grishel from the Friars of the Renewal and others that came to speak about the faith. And uh, I must admit that, you know, oftentimes in the early days it was uh, walking by faith because it, I didn't know what the fruit of all this would be. But I see that uh, oftentimes the great missionaries don't know exactly what's going to happen in the future, but you just continue to trust that the Holy Spirit is with you and that the risen Lord Jesus Christ is really the one who is at the heart of what is going on here. And when I realize that, I don't have any fear anymore because it's not a matter of am I going to be successful, but am I going to be faithful to what the Lord is asking of me? So you talked about dusting off the monstrance a little bit. So what was the first impetus behind, uh, you know, getting that going? What inspired you to want to do that? I remember in seminary talking to different people, and uh, I had a friend who was an oratorian from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and they had a program similar to that where they had a holy hour, I believe, once a week at, at the University of Pittsburgh where they served. And I thought, well, that would be something very good to have at Benedictine College just because of the importance of our Lord and and when all else fails or even before all else fails we should certainly turn to the Lord and so that rootedness in the Eucharist because when we look at the Eucharist it's not just a piece of bread there that we're thinking in front of but this is really the the mystery of Christ his body blood soul divinity poured out for us and so as we're in that presence we bring our fears, our trusts, our uh, disappointments, our joys. And so that, that became a great impetus for the ministry and for the growth of faith. And so one of the uh, fruits of uh, all that prayer was focus uh, coming to campus. Yes. So as we honored Dr. Shree a few weeks ago at the Abbott's table, he spoke uh, extensively about you and uh, your influence on focus uh, and how it got kind of started here. So can you kind of give us that kind of history? Yes, that was very interesting. In the spring of 1997, in April, I was uh, watching an EWTN show with some of the Knights of Columbus from our college council. And Mother Angelica that evening had Curtis Martin and Scott Hahn on, and they were talking about a new program they wanted to start called Focus. And I was very moved by it. And I, I told the men in the room, I said, this is what we need here at Benedictine College. And so that night I called the number on the screen, uh, screen that they'd given, and I didn't hear anything. And that summer I didn't hear anything. But that fall we had this new young professor here by the name of Ted Shree, and I asked him about this focus program, and he sort of lit up and became excited. And as we talked more, uh, I, I said, I would really like to have that here at Benedictine College. And so we worked throughout that fall, and in January we had Curtis Martin come, and uh, the Friday evening that he was here, he spoke to about 200 students in the auditorium and gave a talk about just the faith and growing in your faith. And then uh, Ted chose about 20 leaders to go out to the Grange House of, by Lake Perry. And that's also where Camp Tekawitha started for the diocese, Archdiocese of Kansas City. And so we went there, and uh, that was just a very fruitful weekend. Um, 
I, again, my role was basically just praying and, and, and asking the Holy Spirit, but I'm so grateful for all the work that Ted Shree did and Curtis Martin and certainly Scott Hahn and others who got focus going. It's become such a blessing, not only here at Benedictine, but throughout the country. And so you've served uh, through much of this time as a professor at Benedictine College or instructor, whatever your official title yes. is, I'm not sure. So why don't you tell us about that experience and what that's sort of been like and how working with the students has maybe informed your person and how that's well, kind of changed your life, I guess. Well, you know, I, f I, I feel oftentimes uh, inadequate because there's m many people who are wiser and more intelligent than I am. Father Dennis Mead uh, encouraged me to begin teaching theology. He said it's good to have monks in the classroom. And so my second year back, I began, I taught a sacraments and liturgy course. And then the next year, I started Benedictine spirituality. And uh, so I've been teaching regularly since 1995 in the college. And uh, I've just seen a great growth in the faith life of the students. Uh, so many of the students who are in class, even if they're not theology majors, uh, they're majoring in engineering or English or history. They're athletes, but they, they want to grow in the faith. There's a real hunger there for Christ and a real hunger to grow in the Word of God and virtue, to leave behind oftentimes lives of sin and to embrace that gospel message. So that's been a real blessing for me. And then also I would say that in addition to teaching, uh, one of the opportunities I had in 2002 one of the good friends of St. John Paul II came to campus, Monsignor Lorenzo Albacetti. And uh, that was a real blessed moment for us. And that was a true friendship that I had with Monsignor Albacetti. And he really taught me a lot about uh, just the importance, the centrality of Christ, of seeing that reality of Christ in my life. And I think what I appreciated most about him and communion liberation, the movement that he represented, was the authenticity, the humanity, uh, the humor that often he brought to the situation, but also the seriousness, the way that they looked at uh, you know, people's uh, identity and saw Christ as really the center of all of our lives. And so that has been a real blessing for us also. So you talk about, you know, struggling with sin in uh, life. You know, it's something I think we all struggle with. There's many vices that we uh, it's, uh, have, each of us. And so you've talked openly on your social media accounts and stuff like that about uh, leaving alcohol behind for your life. So how has that sort of changed your life in the last couple of years as you've um, made that sacrifice? Yes, it's been a real blessing for me, uh, really coming to see my powerlessness over alcohol and that there, you know, I've always believed in God, I've always prayed, and, but I think all of these things I talked about earlier, Eucharistic adoration, the Mass, prayer, all of that has taken on a much richer meaning for me. And I think everyone in life struggles with some addictions, uh, whether it's to drugs, to alcohol, to pornography, to food. Sometimes it's just to emotions. And to know that there's help, that, that Christ wants us to be uh, fully alive. You know, he says, I come that they might have life and have that life abundantly. And so I find in my own recovery that there's been an abundant life. And if anything, it has really helped my living of the Benedictine life because, uh, you know, the 11th step of the program that I follow speaks about uh, 
you know, through prayer and meditation, coming to a, a deeper uh, relationship with God. And that's precisely what my monastic life does every day. Every day I get up to pray. I do Lexio Divina, reading the Word of God. I trust in the Holy Spirit, and that is freeing because I realize that I'm powerless over addiction, over sin, but that God in his power can raise me up and strengthen me. So one ministry I know you uh, probably have been blessed to be a part of was serving as the retreat master for some of the missionaries of charity around the world. So what was that like encountering that uh, sort of different religious charism? You know, they're engaged in serving the poor and things like that. So how, how did you minister to them? Yes, well, the first time I went back to Washington, D.C. in November of 2008, and I was speaking to the sisters, and I remember I was very fearful because I thought, what am I going to say? And I remember later hearing that Archabbot Lambert from St. Minard in Indiana uh, was talking to Mother Teresa herself and her sisters, and Mother Teresa told him, I like it, Archabbot Lambert, because so many priests say, well, what am I going to say to Mother Teresa's sisters because they're so good and they're so holy, but I like you because you just tell us to straighten up, and that's what we need to hear. So, well, I didn't tell them to straighten up, but I, I did encourage them in uh, their their work, and certainly it was a beautiful charism. I, I gave talks around the United States, and for six years, I was part of a course that they have in Calcutta, India, and I would talk to 50 sisters that they chose out of the 5,000 every year to go to this one-year course, and I did 10 days of that, and my topic was the Paschal Mystery and the Church. And so uh, two very beautiful topics. The, the how, how is it that the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the Pentecost affect our lives? And also, how does, the, how does the Church grow from that? And how is the Church alive because of Christ and is the life of Christ in the world? And so that was a beautiful experience for me. So... You, as an instructor of Benedictine spirituality, I think we have a special opportunity to maybe learn a little bit. So um, the vows that you guys take, if we want to walk through them one at a time. So the first vow is stability to this place. And so, you know, obviously people don't make a vow of stability to themselves, but what can I learn from monastic stability? Well, I think that we live in a world that's very global, and in many ways that's good. We can travel around the world and... uh, either physically or through communication, social networks. But stability reminds me to also keep guard in my heart and to remain in one place, either physically or spiritually, to be rooted in the cross of Jesus, to be rooted in the, the life of Jesus. And so whether I stay here every day of my life or whether I, you know, even in Benedict's days there were there were times where monks would be sent out on journeys and they would be official journeys of the monastery. But whether I'm away from the monastery or here, I have a stability because my heart is rooted in Christ, is rooted in this community. And so probably a little bit of a similar answer, I suppose, but obedience to your abbot and to the rule is the next vow that you take. So again, when you're living your life or outside of the monastery for the lay listeners, what can we learn from obedience that yes. from the monks? Well, you know, be, obedience comes from the, the root of those words are to listen. And uh, really to be obedient is to, as Jesus did, to always listen to the Father. He was obedient to the Father. 
there was many people that would were telling Jesus do this or that, but his will was to do the will of his, his food was to do the will of his father. And so our own obedience is to listen to God and to listen, especially in scripture, in Lexio Divina, but also in uh, silence before the Blessed Sacrament or just silence in our hearts. And that obedience, as we listen to God's word, will help remind us because there's so much relativism, there's so much confusion, there's so much darkness in the world today. And obedience reminds us to, to be obedient to the one who loves us, to be obedient to the commands, and to grow in that fear, that awe of God. And so the final value take is a conversatio morum. So That's we right. often say the conversion of morals or conversion. That's right. To so what can we learn again from that same vow of conversion? And, and con- conversatio morum includes uh, the other vows that we do not explicitly take, the way that we live poverty, the way we live chastity and celibacy, the way that we live uh, authentic- authenticity, humility, a joy, a peace. And so basically, conversatio means to live as the Lord Jesus lived, to live uh, simple, joyful, always willing to do the Father's will. And so it's a beautiful vow that, re- that keeps us, and, and the reason conversion is associated with it is because it keeps us being converted all of our life. There's no day that I can say I don't have something in my life that I need to be converted from or converted towards God. And so you talked a little bit about humility. So one uh, quote that we used at the Abbot's Table, for example, was that true humility is not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. Yes. Um, so what does St. Benedict say about humility, and what can we learn from the rule? Yeah. Well, the, the first step of humility for Benedict is that we keep the fear of God before our eyes always and never forget it. And really that fear of God, as we know from the fathers of the church, is an awe. And so if I, every day, have an awe of God and a wonder at what God is doing, then I'm never, uh, that, that keeps me humble because I, I don't think that I'm in charge of the universe, but I have an awe of, of God who has created all things. But yet the greatest awe I have is that he who created the whole universe knows me and loves me as a person. And that, that really is humbling and helps me in the steps of humility. And I, one thing I'd say, too, about the three vows is that I oftentimes, when I pray the rosary at the beginning, I include those. So when I pray for an, an increase of faith, I also pray for an increase in obedience because as I believe more in God, I want to be obedient to what God wants of me. And when I pray for hope, I pray for stability, that right here I I can find a hope and a stability in this monastery. And when I pray for love, I pray for conversatio morum, because everything Christ did was out of love. His his poverty, his uh, chastity, his, his life of service, his obedience to the Father, all that came out of love. Well, very good, Father Meinrad. I think that we can probably wrap that up for today. And so I want to thank you for joining us. And if you could, maybe just uh, take us out in prayer. Yes, let us pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty Father, send into our hearts the Holy Spirit so that we might more boldly call Jesus Lord and you Father and all of our days give praise to your holy name. 
And we ask this through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, and that same Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Once again, this has been MonkCast, a podcast from the Benedictine Monks of St. Benedict's Abbey in Atchison, Kansas. And for more, see our website, kansasmonks.org.